Hey, this is Brandon J. Clack, and you're tuned into Game Changer. on everybody brandon j clack here on all of your social media platforms and this is another edition of game changer i've got um a unique guest in the building with me today uh he is the pastor of all nations atlanta uh he is the author of an incredible book called the burden of a builder he's got jeez, he's got at least 25 children um <laughs> he, he is the wife of to me no, no. comedian of the year no, Fanika no. friend i got lebron friend in here pastor lebron what's going on man what's going on man thank you for the opportunity and the invitation and uh I, i'm just honored to be on, on the game well, changer what, well, a, what a privilege well first of all i tried to interview him the same day that his wife was here he swerved me, no, ducked no, no. out of here, no. and then he threw like an A. So what you all don't know about LeBron Friend is he is like the prankster of all pranksters. <laughs> so what he did was he literally threw a stink bomb underneath my door. So it exploded in my office. He ran back to Atlanta, and I had to deal with the smell the whole I way. ran the whole way. Call me Forrest Gump. The whole way. <laughs> How are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm glad to be in Memphis. I, I've i loved the first season of Game Changer, and I was hoping that, you know, sooner or later I would get an invitation to come. You know, I was praying to God, God, just open up a window. Give me a door. Give me a, you know, a seat at the mic. Well, well, first, you got the seat at the mic, and uh, I want to jump into a couple of things with you. And, and obviously we'll touch on some of the ministerial aspects that are near and dear to your heart, but... What are some of the more practical things that you like to do? Do you have any hobbies? What do you do during the day? I love to lift weights. It has turned into, and I think I've turned you into an addict, if I'm not it mistaken. It is the truth, because I, yeah. I, I, I have found it to be the greatest de-stressor of my entire life. Oh, wow. So, you know, where I can't throw stuff at people, I can throw oh. weights, you know? <laughs> I I love to lift weights. I love to watch sports. I'm a sports fanatic, at least Football and basketball more than anything. Professional else. or college? Both. I love college of uh, college football and college basketball, and both professional and college football. Who's your college football team? Alabama Crimson Tide. Oh. Is there is there a question to ask there? Was that a real question? Okay, so have you been with them for the longevity, or did you jump on when it was Roll Tide got no, famous? No, no. I, I was. I'm born and raised. You know, oh, that's good. so I'm always been an Alabama fan. There's no other team. No, there's there's no other team. I don't. I don't even know what we're talking about. Wait, here. are they even going to make it to Let's not talk about the, that part. To know? the to the tournament. You can't this year? always be on top. First of all, it's a college football playoff. So <laughs> don't make it like <laughs> it's some, you know, but you can't always be on top. Every once in a while, somebody's got to dethrone you. So this is our first year in 5 years of the college football playoffs not being there. I can handle it for one year. We'll be back. Or okay. not. You'll see us again. Okay. Well, you know, handle it for one year. As long as, long as you're good with it, I'm good with I it. I also think that Kobe is the most overrated basketball player in the history of all time. Seriously? You're going to do that literally <laughs> on my podcast. You're disrespectful for that. Okay. So you love lifting weights. Sure. How many times a week do you think you lift weights? Um, At least four, maybe five. Oh, you in there like for real? Yeah. 
Four or five times. Okay, I, here's the one of the million dollar questions that I think a lot of people wonder about you because you and Adrian Davis's story is so unique. Sure. And a lot of people don't know that when you came on to, well, I'll, I'll let you tell that. Okay. How did you get with All Nations? How did that happen? Um, okay, so let me give you the short end of it. Okay. So Apostle Matthew Stevenson sought me out while I was living in Tucson, Arizona. I had never heard of an Anwa. He sent me a word before I became the pastor of the oldest black Baptist church in Arizona, mm. that if I stayed there, they, it was going to kill me. And I would never reach my full purpose there. Fast forward four years, I almost died. And then um, apostles sent word for me again, uh, as he had done very consistently for the three years. Who did he send that, that word through? He sent that word through a, a college friend of mine that oh, okay. was also submitted to him in ministry. Um, and I finally answered the call. Myself and Adrian Davis went up to Chicago to meet with uh, Apostle. He pitched an idea for me to either take over a church or to plant one. And I decided to, to plant one and the rest has become history. Okay. So with that narrative, yep. you, you and AD go there. Why? So did, was it a, the original blueprint for AD to bring his church on? How did AD end up coming to this meeting? AD came to this meeting because Fanica wouldn't let me go by myself. <laughs> <laughs> Why? So she was nervous. She was scared of apostle. She said, we don't, <laughs> We don't know what he's going to do when you get there. So it's <laughs> it's best for us to carry somebody you at least trust. So, you know, so you can meet this man that you've never met before. So with this trust with AD, so clearly you didn't just meet him on the journey, on the trip to Chicago. How did you meet him? How did that start? We met on my wedding day. He mimed in my wedding. Hilarious. And so um, I've got a picture. I, you know, I need to post it for the decade challenge, as a matter of fact. Probably. I've so he can picture. dance? I've got a picture with him with hair. Let me just take it a step further. He's got hair on his head. Uh, and he, he and um, his friend uh, Chris, they mimed in our wedding. And since then, I haven't been able to get rid of him. <laughs> he, is, he has been attached to my hip, good, bad, ugly, and indifferent. Uh, he has literally been, been a son. He's done, and he's done well. He's done well, 11 years. That Jesus. is a long time, especially in a, in a day and an age, in my opinion, where people are swapping out uh, authority Absolutely. figures for prominence Absolutely. opportunity. 11 years is a 11 long years, time. yep. Is he, the, is he the longest individual you've passed? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, to, to the extent of being inside of someone's life and seeing the good, bad, and ugly, mm -hmm. he, yeah, he's definitely been with me the longest. What is some of the challenges of pastoring gifted people? I'm not saying that, you know, God knows I love him. I'm not saying he's a challenge, but, no. you know, some gifted people are, are challenging. What are some of the challenges that you see? Because maybe what our listeners don't know is that at any given Sunday in All Nations Atlanta, you could see anybody and not True. because they're coming to do anything, but because they're coming to receive. What is the challenges with that? I think the part that's probably most underplayed about gifted people is that everything must be together in their lives because they are as gifted as they are. Mm -hmm. When the thing I've discovered is probably the denser, the gift, the higher the torment. Mm -hmm. And 
they love God with all their heart, but they have battles that they're fighting both mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that if not submitted to a voice can drive them crazy off of a stage and lead them or attempt to talk them out of the grace that they're actually called into. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, it almost feels like uh, Dr. Jekyll. Absolutely. Mr. Hyde. Hyde. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not being so enamored with the capability Mm -hmm. that you miss the private conflict. You know, the place where once they step off of a stage, they have wounds that have been unaddressed. They have uh, concerns that nobody's given voice to. They have emptiness, you know, uh, uh, sincere emptiness. Because a lot of people think the stage means that you've got popularity, people around you, and very often you can have a whole crowd of people with you and still feel empty as all all get out. So, yep. I think that it's a, it's an interesting thought, and, and this is no shade to anybody else, but it's an interesting thought to me that someone with a stage as dense as yours would be more concerned about life off the stage mm-hmm. than you are about performance on. How did you get to the point where you valued that? Is that risky? Does, does it ever, you ever feel like you're going to lose somebody because you value how they live off the stage? Well, I think it becomes risky in a context where we don't exemplify the grace of God. Mm-hmm. So in caring about your life off of a stage, it is not to make you or to be legalistic. Mm-hmm. It is to say you need someone to have voice on your decisions so that you don't make the wrong one that you regret. Now on the flip side of that, because we are in Atlanta, people pass through all the time. There are people that come to our church just to hide because they don't want to have to run to a stage while they heal. Mm. And so one thing that Fanique and I have tried to make very consistent is just because you have a gift here doesn't mean that you have a stage here. There is the possibility that you're extremely gifted and you come here and just sit. Um, we're, we're never be so concerned about your ability to perform that if your life is poor and you feel like it's in shambles, that we want to push all oh, well, you've got more in you when you may be in a season where you're literally bleeding out on everybody. So your heart needs to heal. You know, you mentioned uh, Fanika Friend. Let's uh, switch gears. What is it like being married to Fanika Friend? You know, I don't know when someone is going to listen to this podcast. Today is December the 7th, 2019. <laughs> and if you want a tremendous laugh, you need to go to Instagram and you need to go back to two days ago. That would be December the 5th on Instagram. And and my sister, now God knows I love my sister. My sister decides to do this entire skit, it feels like, of hair products. What what do you think in your mind? You you posted something on Instagram with this weird uh, black Santa with no kneecap. <laughs> like it's like the friend household is nonstop. I am waiting for the United States government to cut me a check. I, I really am. There should be somebody that's paying me to keep her. That's how. 
I think the beauty of living with a Fanica friend is you never have to question what's going to happen. She is always her authentic self. And what people see on IG is what she is 95% of the time at home. She's just wide open. And I don't know whatever's going to come out of her mouth. She has her own entertainment. She doesn't need TV. She finds herself funny. Really? So she will be in a room laughing at herself. I'm like, what's going on? She's like, oh, no. I was just thinking. Like, I need a check. Somebody should be paying me to keep you. Somebody should be giving me something. You all's relationship, it, it really seems authentic. And I don't want to say seems as if I don't know. I'm close enough on the inside to know the validity of that statement. How did you all get to the point where that love just bleeds over at this point? You know, I think we've known each other now for right at 18 years. How long have you been married? We have been married 11 and a half. So next year will be 12 years. So I feel like I have grown up with Vanika. Um, I met her, my, it was my freshman going into my sophomore year of college. Um, so I feel like she's been a part of every major adult transition that I've ever experienced in life. So because we knew each other so young in our adulthood, it gave us a chance to really grow together, to learn together, to make mistakes together, and ultimately allow that to blossom into what we have now. Um, and it hasn't been easy. Like, I think we love each other as hard as we do now because we've had so many failures together yeah. and things that didn't work out right and still suck together with it. And now when we're together, we actually, we enjoy one another. Like, I enjoy being with Fanika. She is... Um, Comedy in a bag. Like I never, <laughs> I never have to worry about being entertained. Uh, she loves hard, which taught me how to love hard. Uh, as long as she, as long as I've known her, she's always been one that when people come in her presence, they feel a very tangible love. What is a, and it's one you don't, you can say. Sure. Can't say, don't say it. What is an <laughs> argument, a disagreement that you all have had that you knew you had to bounce back from? Like, have you ever found yourself in the position where you says, you know what, I feel like I'm right. I'm going to bite the bullet on this one for the betterment of the family. What? Tell us a story. Ooh-wee. <laughs> so you, you, you just, you just going you know, to push us all the way. Listen, I got sister telling me a story about you. I got to get you to tell one. Um, If there is something we had to bounce back from, Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna share a lot. Here we go. I'm gonna do it real quick though. I'm gonna give you a condensed version. Here we go. Uh, Fanica did not really want to move to Arizona. Really? No. Um, but that's the church you were gonna be pastoring. That's the church I was gonna be pastoring. It was the only job opportunity I had on the table at the time. Mm. So when I took the job in Arizona, my family of five was living in the bedroom I grew up in. Hmm. So we had to move back in my parents' house. We literally had nothing. I was youth pastoring uh, at the church. Pastor AD would later come to pastor. And um, this was the only real prospect I had for occupation. And she didn't want to go. And it was probably one of the more challenging times that took us a while to bounce back from. Because what made it worse, the day I brought her to Arizona, the day she flew in, I went two months ahead of her. 
The day that she flew in, it was 118 degrees. It was one of the hottest days Tucson had on record in decades. And when they take us off the plane there, they, we have to walk on the tarmac. So the first thing she feels is heat and hot cement. And she looked at me and she said, brother, you got five years. <laughs> Wait, she told you that the day you landed? No, 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 no. The moment she stepped off the plane, not, not, not just the day we landed. The moment we stepped off the plane in Arizona, she didn't call me babe, boo. She said, brother, you got five years, which at that time, I'm like, oh, give me two or three. I can convince her to stay. Mm -hmm. But the truth was we left almost five years to the month that we got there. Um, She gave me a ton of grace, but the miscommunication of that season and like the, the the man in me, the survivalist in me said, I've got to find a way to be sure my family just has. Yet the nurturer and the safety city is what I call her, uh, Fenika, not wanting to move cross country. It, it caused some, it caused some tension, you know, some challenges in the middle yeah. of that. Uh, but it made us better, I think, in the long haul because Arizona grew both of us up. We were so far away from everything that was normal to us. We had no safety net to fall on. So there was no parents in close proximity. There was nothing that could just save us real quick. We just had to figure it all out. So I would call Arizona our literal wilderness experience. It it prepared us. And without it, I don't think we would be embracing the grace that we've got now. We were celebrating your wife's birthday in our group chat. You apostle and and chief says that you are a stellar husband. How in the world, I wish y'all could see these fingers. He gives all glory to God. God is exactly. How did you figure out or, or how was it difficult for men at times mm-hmm. to manage a bad season mm-hmm. and still build their wives up at the same time? That's to me, that's what Arizona sounds like. Arizona was that. Um, and it's something to be honest with you. I am just now learning how to master. Um, The truth is because my wife survived Arizona, I'll honor her the rest of my life. She endured a season and, you know, in the midst of it, there's so many twists and turns in the midst of that. But even in Arizona, miscarriages, um, giving birth to another child and me always being gone, like she endured a ton. Um, so now that we're on the broad side of that and really in some of the best days we've ever had, I've, I've obligated myself to always honor the sacrifice she made in one season. Uh, because without her yes to me then and her selflessness in that season, I don't know where we would be. Um, she could have easily walked out on me and divorced me. And I probably gave her more than enough reasons to um, outside of um, infidelity, you mm-hmm. know, just the, he said, Legit, I ain't touched nothing. I ain't sniffed nothing. I ain't scratched <laughs> nothing. My fingers have only been on my wife. I have not. I have not. My genitalia has not ventured in any other parts of anybody. No scratching sniff. No scratching sniff. No, sir. No, no DNA left. <laughs> no stains. Use your black light if you I want. I ain't sold no sheets but my own. Holla. Um, but she, she endured so much in that season. Uh, I, I've obligated myself to always honor her. So even now, when we get in disagreements and have misunderstandings, 
even if I feel like I'm right, I try my best to opt for the honorable seat and to say, you know what, even it, it's not important to be right. It's for me, it's more important for us to have harmony and agreement in everything that we do and that we're moving at the same pace and similar perspectives so that we can stay on the same page. All right. I got a heavy one for Let's you. Go. Breathe in, breathe out. That's his, uh, <sighs> from hell. I'd skip if I had some room. So I met LeBriant friend three years ago, maybe closer to four now. And now I am convinced today I would have known your name, whether we were building churches together or not. How in the world did you decide that it would be better to lay down what you were doing very successfully on your own, join someone else's vision, help some adolescent younger leaders? When you find a voice that ignites your purpose and your passion, don't leave it. And the truth of it was, every time I heard Apostle Matthew Stevenson speak, stuff would leap in me. I, I knew that pieces of me that had not been alive came alive at his voice. There were parts of me that going to Arizona, I had to bury um, I, even in my best attempt to be a builder, there were certain things I just was not released to do under the confines I operated in. What he did was created a, a stage and a platform for me to be able to re-engage with the parts of me that had went dormant and caused me to come back to life. Um, so for me, once you find that voice, don't leave it. You know, good, bad. Ugly. Why do guys leave those voices? I, to be honest, a lot of times it's selfish ambition. It is a desire to say I could do this on my own. But uh, the truth is that we we've been better together. I I think I even think the parts that God used me for in the narrative for Apostle Matthew Stevenson gave him the courage to keep duplicating this over and over. Once we saw that in Atlanta, we could do it well once it became a phenomenon unexpected. It, it wasn't, he, he had vision for it, but it never launched out into it. Mm -hmm. I think God used my family as a template for what he could do over and over again. So I think we have, both benefited from it, but me far more than he, uh, because it it brought me back to life. I was a dead man walking, and uh, this season with him, that voice brought me back to life. So don't run from it. I don't know if you would have said no. Well, yeah, you'd have said no to Atlanta. I'm sure Memphis would. It gave us context. It gave yeah. us courage. I think it gave. It gave us a lot, and I, I didn't realize how weighty it was at the time. It was just like taking a chance. Like when we first posted that flyer of One Nation, three oh. locations, I never expected it to have the type of momentum it had. I, and I think sometimes today I still take for granted the type of influence that has come with it. Um, and I hope I always feel that humble about it. Like I don't expect anyone to know who I am. So anytime people do, I'm surprised by it. And I'm yeah. like, Oh wow. Um, 
But it, I think it gave context for the whole narrative. I don't know what city would have been first had we not done Atlanta the way we did it or who God would have used. But I'm very grateful for a voice that was easy to say yes to. You know, I, I remember that day that you and uh, Adrian Davis and Tamika were extremely rude to me uh, during that anniversary service. And I had no clue. But I, mm. I just knew that if I would just mm. lead with honor, that at some mm. point God would connect our mm. hearts in a deeper sense. And so mm. I'm grateful for my Let me change the game real quick. Um, <laughs> when, we, uh, when we first met Apostles Brandon and Christabel Clack, they had been shopping at Saks and oh. Gucci and Louis. And um, we we were leaving out of a hotel and all I had was, you know, my five below bag. Okay. I said, hi, sir. And he turned his nose up at me so strong, guys. I It was almost, it was reprehensible. It was a, it, it caused a, a mark in my heart that God had to heal over time. But I'm grateful that he did. You know, I'm, I'm very grateful that he did. You know, I, I remember that day. You remember sticking your nose up? No, that didn't happen. Oh, you were snooty. First of all, I was very kind. <laughs> but <laughs> I remember that day. And I remember you preached a message. I don't remember what it was called. But you had a bunch of keys. Mm-hmm. And a kid had the right key to get into whatever you had. It was like a lock. Mm-hmm. And that was, I had not seen illustrated sermons preached with power. Mm. So from my context, if you did an illustrated sermon, it's because you had no oil. Right. right. And, and, and <laughs> you needed something to, to keep people engaged. But the guys that I had seen that what we thought back then was some oil, they didn't have the intelligence to piece together illustration <laughs> to me. I don't know if I've seen anybody marry the two demonstration sure. and power sure. and creativity. How can you give us some of the process of sure. what that's like? It's Friday night. Mm-hmm. You're getting ready for Sunday. You're getting ready to create something. Walk some young preachers through that process. Well, all right. So to walk you through it, I got to understand you, help you understand how it started. Okay. I never planned to be an illustrative preacher. In the context I grew up in, everybody hooped. Mm -hmm. So I always tried to close my sermon out with a hoop. You did? I did. What? Now you won't even touch it. I will not. I did it so awfully. Really? I mean, it was. Is there any video? Uh, probably. I'm ready to call for v- right She does now. not have it. It's on VHS, and it's probably buried somewhere in the basement of my father's house. So <laughs> you're really calling? Don't, I'm don't, don't literally call. texting for right now. <laughs> so, so uh, probably two years into preaching, I realized that hooping wasn't for me. I, I couldn't do it, and I knew that the way I was wired, I was a visual learner. I always learn by pictures. I see it, I can do it. So I started, you're really texting her. I'm just coming through to my watch. Uh, so I, I started using like very simple stuff in my Baptist context mm-hmm. to help push my sermon through in a way to try to make the sermon come alive. I've been doing illustrated sermons for 17 years now. And I didn't realize how long I had been doing it until... Uh, Fanika brought it up in a conversation. Like when I met you, you were, you were doing illustrated sermons. It was right when I had started. So about 17, 18 years ago. And I just did it because I was trying to make the sermon make sense on every level. So now like Friday night or midweek, I can be sermon prepping and based on whatever topic we're I'm dealing with or whatever um, the 
overarching theme of that context or that sermon is, I'm always trying to look for another way to get the message across. There are people that learn by listening. There are people that learn by writing, but then there are people that learn by seeing. I'm always looking for the seeing group. I'm looking for those that they're going to hear me and I know they're going to grab it. But who is going to remember a message because I put them in it? Who is going to, what is it? How's it going to stick for them if I make them a part of the sermon and not just the listener of it? So I'm always looking for ways to make people a part of something that could have the ability to make that message change their life. I think that it's probably one of your And it's powerful. It works. It's fun. I try it. I suck at it. But no, it works no, no, for no, no, you. No. It, I would dare to say different. Okay. Um, the sermons that I have watched you illustrate, even in Memphis, have actually been pretty prolific and powerful. Um, you did one with Sam and a shoe. <laughs> um, yes. That was probably five, six months ago. Yeah, it's true. But, but for me... Those are prolific moments yeah. because it makes your point stick in a different way. And you're, you're actually pretty strong at it. No, I would definitely not say you suck at it. Okay. You can I might, get away with I might dabble it. a little bit more. <laughs> just, just a dabble, though. I don't, I don't want to get, I feel like I'm too extra. I'll get lost in it. But that's what makes it beautiful. So, like for me, I'll have what I think an illustration is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But when you're dealing with people, everything's up in the air. So the creativity to me is not the illustration itself. It's being able to preach whatever people do. Mm. So that is like the beautiful part for me because it's, it's always up in the air. You don't know how people are going to respond, especially when you're choosing random people. So when they come up and they do opposite of how you thought it was going to go in your head, you've got to be quick enough on your feet to preach through that context while still pushing them to your ultimate goal. That's excellent. Yeah, so it's 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 fun. I've I've learned now that people are unpredictable, but use their unpredictability to still preach. I got two more questions. For Let's you. go. Uh, practical versus supernatural. Mm-hmm. We talked about this for like an hour one time. Sure. About marrying the two. Why did the two have to fight? Give us some of your thoughts on the power of practicality and the supernatural. I believe Jesus used them both well. Jesus used the practical to demonstrate the supernatural. So when Jesus is dealing with um, farmers, he's using a very practical um, parable. But in using a practical parable, he is unlocking supernatural truth. So I don't think that there is necessarily a separation between the two. I believe that there is a necessity for some spaces of demonstration to be open in the supernatural, for it to be open from a level of practicality where people's hearts can receive it. Um, some people call it, but Paul talks about the, the simplicity of the gospel, yeah. meaning that there has to be beyond our uh, verbiage and our ability to think that God only operates in lofty thoughts, mm-hmm. that there is a simplicity and a practicality to it. For me, that's what opens up the door to supernatural. If people only come in at supernatural, they create an unhealthy expectation when challenged to deal with practical truths. For me, uh, core beliefs, doctrinal beliefs, all those pieces start out in in practical ways, Mm -hmm. but it unlocks the door to supernatural uh, manifestations. The next one is uh, 
a bit dicier. <laughs> You're probably going to yell at me for asking this. You are, in my opinion, don't do this, Clack. Uh, the second in command, and nobody may know it, but they know it now. And in our context of leadership and connectivity, the Bryant friend to me is the second captain of the ship. How do you wrangle together pre-existing personalities that had a relationship with Dr. Stevenson? And then the new personalities that know the new paradigm. How, how have you been able to balance and dance in between old guard, new blades, old expectations, new expectations? Because I think you handle it well. How do you do that? Um. I'm very honored that you're so tickled by your own line of questioning. I feel like Fanique, um, I'm making myself laugh yeah, today. I, <laughs> the, I think the the real beauty of it is helping people to see that if you're in this narrative, you're in it because you've got a part to play. You bring something to the table that no one else can. And because you bring it to the table, it's a necessity without us competing with what's in someone else. So even as, mm. you know, God has given apostles a grace to bring, I mean, we're at 20 campuses, I think what, 13, 14 uh, senior leaders as new leaders have come on, every one of them has brought a unique difference to the table while still having our DNA. Mm. So it is celebrating the difference that everybody brings to the table while simultaneously encouraging those that have been to not lose their uniqueness in the process. You keep doing you because the way that you do you has made a difference thus far. And if you keep down that track, you're going to help us keep making a difference. So I think my role um, is to take any pressure possible off of chief so that he can see the future clearly. I've seen you and we use the term cut. We don't mean it. Literally, it's more of a figurative analogy of direction and redirection. Mm -hmm. I've seen you cut legit senior leaders in their city and in their thing. They're the senior guy or girl. And I've seen you in our global context uh, cut them in some corrective areas. Mm -hmm. So to me, if you've got that right, clearly your pastor gave you a knife okay. to be able to correct some things. Sure. How do you get the trust of your senior leader? He gives you a knife to correct others that you could use to kill them. You said you only had one more question. I know, exactly. but I'm on a roll now. I feel, I feel my help coming out. This, I'm illustrating. It's an illustrated uh, interview. <laughs> How did you get that trust? If I'm going to be honest with you to this day, I still don't know. Really? Um. Part of it may be connected to being the firstborn within the planting context. Mm -hmm. And so because I have been along for the ride since he began it uh, and have architect something that's pretty close to what Chicago has, mm -hmm. um, I think he trusts that I have his heart in the sense of I'm not going to do something out of selfish ambition that would destroy what he's creating. So if you were to ask me, I would say it's because um, he knows 
I'm only going to use a knife to help cut away what's not necessary to the context he's trying to build. That even if I had an opportunity to put it in his back, I wouldn't. Mm. I don't think anyone at, at, at this juncture could make me say and or do anything that would cause irreversible damage to the narrative of Apostle Matthew Stevenson in our Anwar context. Are you harder on your sons in Atlanta because <laughs> you're Paul and Timothy? I like you're I, both. I wear both shoes, you know, so I, in one context, I'm Paul and in another context, I'm Timothy. So I watch how I Timothy. And I think I challenge my sons to do the same. So the way I serve another man's vision is almost an unspoken expectation within the context of what's being built, you know? So I don't just say, Hey, you better do this, but that thing doesn't happen to me either. Chief doesn't say, Hey, you better be sure you do A, B, C, or D. Uh, he, he trusts that I'm going to lead by what I see and, tr- and believe that as I do it, I'm doing it to help create the culture that he would desire for this to be. Do your Atlanta sons misunderstand you? This is way beyond one more question. Like, I, I know. I, They're going to thank me. I, I love my nephews. I'm They're going to thank me. <laughs> I'm, I'm praying most of this gets edited because you are, you are <laughs> feeling your help. now. <laughs> now. We're in the zone. I think the firstborns hit it harder with me. Mm. So the ones that were with me initially probably hit it harder um, because I was trying to communicate something that I could not see. So we're building, we're in the process of building something. I'm trying to get them to see what heaven is showing me, but not being able to make it as clear as I want it to. So they probably hit it harder as far as the misunderstanding realm. Um, They probably got more rebukes than anyone that's come on now. They probably still get more rebukes, but they get more rebukes now, not because they make error, but because they are the ones that can handle the full weight of what's in my head. And so I hold them responsible to another level, even with the ones that are coming on, they're responsible for being sure that what I've done over time is translated properly to new, new sons that God is raising up. So, so I think that there have been times that it's been misunderstood, um, but I think they've seen my love in action long enough to the trust I'm not going to ever put them in a context to lead them in a direction that's going to lead to their demise. As a whole, why are we so misunderstood as a movement? Um, it's, it's completely different from church as it's been known. So the, the hard part is, and I think Chief and I talk about this often, you, you're right in the conversation too. We're, we're creating a norm that I believe will be studied in the context of black church culture in the next 50 to 60 years. Um, I, I don't always have the words for what that looks like. Um, but I think part of the misunderstanding is it's so different. And if you think about it, every great movement that's ever been established started out misunderstood. So I think it is part of the inheritance of um, apostolically building, yeah. being misunderstood. So um, I, I would say, for me, that's probably the reason why. Yeah. 
Guys, this is Brandon J. Clack. Obviously, I'm with the legendary Pastor LeBriant friend. And uh, I, I hope that this information, he, he really left us some clues on how to be trusted while you're learning how to lead and while you're following. So uh, I'm Brandon J. Clack on all the social media platforms. Reach out to me if you got anything on your mind. Pastor LeBriant, uh, what do you have coming up? You got any books coming up? Any conferences? What's coming up in your world? You know, right now in my world, my world is being dictated by pushing Fanica's world. I love it. I think my wife is on the cusp of doing some pretty amazing things. Mm -hmm. And she's always taking a back seat to everything that I've done. Mm -hmm. And so right now for my personal ventures, I'm setting them aside. We, of course, about to start Charlotte soon. Yep. Uh, but everything personally, I set it to the back burner. Uh, because I feel like this is the time for me to push her into her next place of destiny. So me, I, I'm not right. Everything I'm writing, all content mm -hmm. is all geared towards Fanica friend and friends with the friends. I love it. Uh, how can we reach you on social media? At LeBrian friend on all social media platforms. All right, everybody. This is Brandon J. Clack again on another edition of Game Changer.